Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This is a program of the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can go to cpeonline.org or traincpeonline and there learn more about our work in over 40 countries. You can also find more about us through links at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll learn about our mission fellowship as well. We meet Sundays at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise. Today we take our Bibles in hand and we consider the story of Elijah as he confronts the idolatry of the people of Israel in 1 Kings chapter 18 on Mount Carmel. The people of Israel have wanted to say that God was their God, but they've also wanted to live for other things. As a result, they've bounced from one thing to the next, never settling down on the life before them. Do you know people like that? Maybe yourself. Bouncing from one thing to the next? Never settling on a clear thing? Could be it's a not-so-rare case of idolatry. Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'll be reading to you verses 17 through 21. When Ahab saw Elijah... Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer him a word. So the issue that God is pursuing through Elijah and his ministry before Ahab and the nation of Israel and the judgment or the curse and the drought that is pronounced through Elijah from God on the land of Israel, it's all coming to a head. Elijah is bringing into focus what it is that God wants to do, what it is that God was preparing to do through the famine that he had set upon Israel. Elijah goes to meet the king, the man, who has been seeking for the last three years to end his life. He remains determined to meet Ahab, even after Obadiah, Ahab's administrator, honestly expresses his own fear of Ahab. Ahab is ruthless. Ahab is set on killing you. But Elijah doesn't flinch. He doesn't move. He doesn't remove himself from the place where he waits for Ahab to be brought to him. When Ahab comes, he confronts Elijah and accuses Elijah and brings his own angry accusation against Elijah. And again, Elijah doesn't fade back from these things. He doesn't retreat from these things. His answer is direct. He gives the king God's instruction. Ahab, gather all the people. Gather all the priests of Baal and all the priests of Asherah. And by the way, Asherah is kind of like Baal's wife and Baal is the god of the rain, but this god of the rain has been shut out by the god of all creation for the last three years. Ahab, you call them all together on Mount Carmel. 
the region down from Mount Carmel was the most fertile area in all of Israel, just moving down from the slope of that place or that mount, and it's there that God wants to meet with the people of Israel. And Ahab follows all of Elijah's instructions, not because he wants to obey Elijah, and not because he wants to obey Elijah's God, but Ahab needs rain, and the people need rain, and this fertile place and fertile plain is threatening now to become a desert. Now, God doesn't raise up Elijah for the sake of the king. That's what we're going to discover. The primary confrontation and the primary person being dressed is not Ahab and Jezebel. This will be something that Elijah doesn't even understand entirely himself if we go on and read the story. He has somehow in a mind that the primary purpose of his coming is to turn King Ahab and Jezebel back to the Lord. But it's not Ahab and Jezebel that is in God's view. It's the people of Israel. God is wanting to speak to them. God's primary concern is his own people. And this is what we're going to learn from the confrontation that takes place on Mount Carmel. Once all the people are gathered there, here's what we read. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on halting or limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people have not a word to say to him in rebuttal because they know it's true. They know it's true. The Hebrew language here that Elijah is using is a pictorial language which basically pictures a bird that is jumping from one branch to another branch back and forth but not settling down on any one of them in order to make a nest and Basically, Elijah is saying, where are you going to build your nest? Who are you going to settle into? Are you going to settle into the God of all creation, the God of Israel, or, or the God of Baal? You can't keep jumping from branch to branch. This is the time to decide. The, the issue that God is addressing through Elijah is this. The idolatry of the people and their lack of faithfulness to him. Their disobedience from God is in itself an indication of a sort of idolatry in which they have put something else before God. And Elijah had met with Ahab, and you'll remember that Ahab now has said to him, is that you? This is how Ahab approaches Elijah when he comes and meets with him. Is that you, troubler of Israel? And Elijah responds, I'm not the one who's troubled Israel, but you're the one who's troubled Israel. And Elijah explains the pattern in which this trouble has taken place. He says it's because you and your father's house have, and listen to the order here, you and your father's house have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. First order. You have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. Second order. And followed the Baals. Abandoning the commandments of the Lord, following the Baals. Abandoning God's commands always leads an individual into idolatry. The Baals of that time were the gods of that moment and that place. They were the spirits of the age in which the people were living. They, Baals, promoted and suggested and held around them the instruction and teaching that coalesced with all of the desires and longing of the people and all the things that at that moment and in that time were told the things that you must do in order to realize fulfillment. They were the spirit of the gods who promised personal pleasure 
and personal power. What I suspect is that in a very real way, when individuals turn away from obeying God, they do so primarily because they do not want God impinging upon their pursuit of personal pleasure and personal power. They want to be free to pursue whatever the spirit of the age in which they live says will deliver on their own self-satisfaction. That's basically it. Baal and Asherah are simply projections. They're idols projecting upon them. Whatever in that day or that period of that time was promising to the people the, the clearest pathway to their own personal pleasure and their own personal power. And so they constructed these idols in a sense to be a reflection in which they projected upon them all their own desires to independently seek their own self-control and their own desires. Now, here's what happened. These gods also brought behind them the force of a demonic age and a demonic world, but they were built by and they were constructed by man. And it was men's disobedience that led them into this idolatry. In their disobedience, the people of Israel now are trading out the God of all creation for the lesser gods of their own construction. The idolatrous gods reflecting their own self-pleasing and their desire for self-control. And this choice is always a movement towards idolatry. When you determine that you're going to do what you want to do and you're going to pursue your own desires and your own interests, it always will lead you towards idolatry. The problem with this choice is it will never lead you into a place of spiritual famine where you'll be starved out from the blessings of Almighty God. So let me just say something about these idols for a moment. Idols are things humans make to gather around them or things that humans construct that they pursue in order to bring them pleasure and power. In a sense, idols are not living things. The constructions of ideas or concepts or pursuits that people think will give them power, they may involve living things. Your idol can be your family. It can be another person. But it's what you're seeking. It's the objectification of those things in which you think from them you're going to derive what you want and what you desire and you can control. So idols are things we construct. The things are fabricated. They're images and ideas fabricated by our own imaginations and our own ingenuities. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 4 says this. We know, Paul says this, we know that an idol has no real existence. It's just something that's fabricated. It's something that's made. It's something that you have crafted or your age has crafted, saying that's the thing you need. Idols are projected before us all the time in advertisements. They're placed before us in the fads and the things that we tell a generation are the things they have to achieve and aspire after in order to you know, fit in and be realized and realize their best selves, whatever they want. But here's the other thing you need to understand. Although idols are things that we construct and things that we make with our own independent imaginations and ingenuities to project upon them our desires and longing for pleasure and power and self-control, the other reality is this, that these idols that we make do not remain alone. We come to them for what we want and what we desire and to rally around them something that will be kind of like the stake in the ground from which we'll live our lives to achieve our own 
self-pleasing desires, but we're not the only ones who rally around them once we construct them. So do evil spirits. Evil spirits gather around those same things. They come behind those idols that we construct. They come behind them. They come through them. And then through this idolatry we constructed for ourselves, they bring some kind of spiritual life to them. They actually bring some provision of power to us. They offer us some play of pleasure. Evil spirits interact with the idols you construct. And they become empowered by them. And they adhere to them. And as a result, they gain possession and influence over us in our idolatry. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20, 1 Corinthians 8, 4 said, we know an idol has no real existence. But then in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20, Paul goes on to say this, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. They've made their idols. It's nothing. But around that idol now has gathered demonic powers. They've co-opted their idols, projected themselves into that idols, found a place to assert control and influence over their lives. He says, I don't want you to have anything to do with it. Behind the idol, pleasure and power, here's the lesson is a demon. Thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest to you two websites you can visit. First, go to traincpe.org to learn about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And to learn more about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.